Welcome to Santa Barbara Talks with Josh Molina. It's my pleasure today to be here with a living legend, Mark Patton, longtime sports writer for the Santa Barbara News Press. And these are the conversations I really love to have the most because you get to talk to other journalists about the craft of journalism, reporting, telling stories. And I couldn't really be doing it with um, anyone better than, uh, you know, somebody who's <laughs> who's just sort of a legend in town and journalism runs in their blood. So Mark, how are you doing today? Oh, good, Josh. I'm doing great living the good life. And uh, I'm, I'm in Idaho right now and Sun Valley and visiting uh, grandchildren, and my daughter. So things couldn't be better. <laughs> great. Well, well, Mark, you recently uh, retired uh, from the Santa Barbara News Press after a long career there in sports writing. So let's just dive right in and talk a little bit about um, your, your career and, 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 and what it was like for you to, to cover sports. Um, you know, you, you definitely are one of these people who, when you write, people look for your byline, people know who you are. They've come to develop a relationship with your work. And uh, you're somebody who, when you stop working, people notice. So let's talk a little bit about what it was like for you to, to be a sports writer all these years, uh, you know, highs, you know, talk a little bit about, you know, what you enjoyed the most. Well, you know, it's, you know, as you know, Josh, my, my father had been the sports editor. He moved to uh, Santa Barbara when I was just a couple of weeks old, he had been working for the Merced Sun star and, um, Thank goodness he moved from Merced to Santa Barbara because allowed me to grow up in the greatest, most beautiful city in the world. And, uh, you know, obviously, because my father was, a, uh, you know, a sports editor, um, I really got interested in the business at a, at a young age. I mean, I remember going into the news press new uh, building when I was a toddler and uh, back in the old, old days, you know, when they had the teletype machines and the, you know, the it was just a noisy place <laughs> and kind of a fun place and um, days before computers or any pagination or any of that kind of thing. And, you know, his, uh, his great grandfather had been, a, it's kind of been in our family. My, his great grandfather had been a pretty well-known editor in Indiana. And then he got recruited to be the top reporter, government reporter for the Salt Lake Tribune was the first, actually the first person ever laid in state at the Capitol building in Salt Lake City. Uh, he was so revered as a journalist uh, for the Salt Lake Tribune. And um, my dad was actually named after him. So it's really kind of been in my, my lifeblood, you know, the newspapers and reporting journalism. And um, uh, I followed my dad around, you know, when he was uh, covering Gaucho games. I remember my first basketball game everyone too was the I actually wrote about this uh my first Newshawk column about going to Robertson gym when it first opened they were playing Cal which was a national champ defending national champion and the Rob gym was packed obviously and I remember I remember actually crying there because it was so loud and so it was actually hot too because the, the ventilation wasn't great and there were a million people packed in there and um but I knew pretty pretty early that this was a kind of a uh, fun life of uh, being a reporter, um, fun and important. And my dad actually tried to discourage me from it a little bit. He said, you know, you're not going to make, you're not going to get rich doing this, you know, uh, you know, maybe you should become a doctor or a lawyer or something like that. And no, nah, I, uh, 
from pretty early on, I wanted to be a journalist. What did you love about it early on? Because, you know, you, we've heard all of that. You'll make more money doing something else, almost anything else, you know, a professional career choice. Uh, what was it that attracted you to, to journalism and writing that, that sort of lit that fire in you? Um, you know, I, I'm, I, I guess I'd be called a people person. I love, I love meeting people. I was actually kind of shy as a little kid and um, uh, would kind of retreat to my room. I'm from a really big family of seven kids. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I was kind of shy at first, but then, you know, as I would follow my dad around and see him interviewing these people and some of them would be famous. Some of them would just be local people. And I kind of thought, this is great. You get to know people and people, you know, being a sports writer, people usually like talking to you. You know, it's not, it's not like, you know, you're a, you know, a, a political reporter talking to city you know, hall politics reporter. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. You know, I actually did that for a little while when I was out of college. I, I when I worked for the San Marino Times and I was a police and reporter. I covered the courts and uh, covered some uh, government too. And uh, I, re- I thought I realized right then that people don't like talking to you as much then <laughs> when you're covering the police beat or whatever. And sports is a little different. And I. I think it's just, you know, meeting people and getting to know people. And uh, I really, I really do enjoy that. Yeah. Now, some sports writers I know, uh, you know, had athletic careers or they wanted to be professional athletes or go as far as they could. Um, or did you ever sort of see yourself on the basketball court when you were covering these people sort of in your head? Were you imagining you were one of them or um, were you approaching it as, you know, I'm a journalist here and I'm covering this? You know, absolutely. I, mm-hmm. I my dream was to be the shortstop for the Los Angeles Dodgers or maybe a, a shooting guard for the Los Angeles Lakers. I, mm-hmm. I went to Bishop Diego High School and I, I played four different sports there at different times. Uh you know, none of them well enough to ever, I think I realized in high school, nah, I don't think I've got it to be a professional athlete. I did go kind of interesting. I, I, I did go, I was going to go to USC right out of high school. My, my father passed away at a pretty early age when I was my senior at high school, he was only 45, mm-hmm. passed away of cancer. And I was going to go to USC at that time I'd been admitted. And, um, I, um, I remember going to my dad was being honored at the athletic roundtable banquet that year. And I went there with my mother and my older brother. And uh, I was still planning to go to USC at the time. And I remember Bob Dynaberg came up to me and the athletic director, he'd been a friend of my dad's and kind of, I think he'd heard, he'd heard I was going to go to USC. And he says, well, he kind of asked me, what are your plans? And I said, well, I'm planning to go to USC. And he, and he goes, wow, that's great. Congratulations. You know, uh, can your mother afford this? <laughs> and uh, you're getting a full scholarship. And I had said, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm a stupid kid, right? <laughs> I don't know how this all is all going to go down. And USC isn't very, very cheap. And he kind of told me about had this uh, uh, journalism program they had at City College. They were winning awards every year. And the advisor was getting their top guy a scholarship to USC almost every year. And so, and then he asked me, you know, or, do you want to play sports? And I, at that time, I, uh, I realized that you, I wasn't good enough to play sports at USC, but I kind of entertained the idea of playing baseball at city college. And, and I did, I went out and was on the team and um, did end up going to city college. And that 
that was kind of my last foray into it. And then I actually got married uh, during my sophomore year, started having a family. And I realized at that point um, I had to put, put those toys away. And uh, so that was my last, last time playing on a, on a, on a, you know, school team. And, uh, but what I did, Josh, was I, you know, <laughs> I've been playing softball, slow pitch softball kind of ever since <laughs> I've been kind of a, slow pitch softball nut, mm-hmm. one of these guys. And I, I still even, I, although COVID kind of took me out of the lineup for, uh, for last year and this year, but uh, I played senior softball with all my old buddies and so forth. So yeah, I, I still envision myself as being a, you know, playing a Dodger stadium. Uh, I think I could fantasize that when I'm at Ealings park still. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think that's the fantasy of a, a lot of, uh, a lot of high school players, you know, just, uh, that dream never dies. You know, you always sort of see it, see it, see yourself out there. You know, So um, I wanted to uh, sort of talk to you a little about your career route. You said you worked at the Santa Maria times. Uh, so talk to me about how you got to the news press and what were things like when you first started? Well, you know, I, when I graduated from USC, I actually had an internship. Uh, I was a political science minor at USC as long as journalism major. And I had an internship in, on Capitol Hill in Washington, DC. And I, I, you know, when I was getting done, I had an opportunity to stay in Washington and work, uh, you know, get a job there in Congress. And I honestly, I, I realized then that this wasn't what I wanted to do with my life. Uh, I didn't want to get into politics or any of that kind of thing. So, and I, my dream had always been to be a reporter. When I, when I was at USC, I actually was, uh, I tried to get on there um, because I transferred after, after City College and uh, went to USC and I lucked out because um, it was really hard to get a spot on the Daily Trojan. Uh, they have a journalism school at USC that's a major and you've got hundreds of guys wanting to be on the Daily Trojan. And fortunately for me, I, when I transferred there for my junior year, um, the assistant editorial director had decided not to return to school. So they had a tryout for their editorial writer for the Daily Trojan. And that's what I'd, I've been writing editorials for the channels, the City College newspaper uh, during my sophomore year. And, and we had an amazing advisor, Ray Canton. He had been a, he'd been a pro. He'd worked for the uh, Minneapolis Tribune, Chicago Tribune, Sacramento Bee. And he was, you know, he had retired from being a reporter, but now he was an advisor and taught me how to write, uh, really taught me how to write, basically. And one of those things was he taught me how to write editorials because it's a little different than writing a news story. And so uh, when I, I had a tryout with about 12 other people for this job on the Daily Trojan. And, you know, I don't think any of them really knew the nuances of writing editorials. And so they gave us a, a test. We had to write about some issue. And I ended up winning that contest and was got on the Daily Trojan and graduated from there the next semester I became the editorial director and then became uh, their features editor of the Daily Trojan. I kept trying to get on the sports staff and uh, the guy said I got a line of guys who've been wanting to you know cover the football team or cover the basketball team and so forth and um, so I never covered sports at USC Um, and so when I got out of uh, when I got the job at the Santa Maria Times, they were looking for a, a cops reporter, something to cover the police beat. And um, so I did that for a while. But you know, it's interesting. I I wrote a story. Um, I I got kind of affected by a story. There was a because I covered the police beat. There was there was an incident where 
a little girl had been killed by her mother's boyfriend. And I kind of did, I, I, you know, I, I really kind of want to look into the story. I already had one of my daughters at that time was two, same age. And I, and I, so I, I kind of delved in the story. I kind of read the probation reports and went through all this stuff and found out that there, the, the, uh, child protection services had warned this child. In fact, I remember reading this one, uh, counselor's report saying if, if this girl isn't taken out of this home, this girl will not live to see her fifth birthday. And it really affected me. And I, so I, I, I actually did a big story on it in, in the Santa Maria times and, you know, and it kind of the, I don't know, to part of it was, uh, you know, just to, to get it out of me. It was kind of an emotional story for me to write. And then at that point I realized, I don't think I want to do this. And I, I admire you guys who, who cover the police beat and, and cover the kind of maybe the underbelly of society and so forth. And I, I kind of miss sports. <laughs> <laughs> so um, they actually had an opening at the Santa Maria times for a sports editor and I applied for it and got it. And uh-huh. uh, so I was sports editor there for really a brief time. And then the news press, uh, the sports editor at the time was Dave Cole, who had worked for my dad and he knew I was out of college and so forth. So he gave me a call one day and said, Hey, I got an opening, you know, for a sports writer. And, um, uh, are you interested? And, and it was a chance to return to Santa Barbara where I grew up and, you know, work with a couple other guys in the staff who were my, my dad's, you know, colleagues and who I knew really well. So I, I jumped at the chance and Dave did a really nice thing for me because my first year uh, on the staff, I, I was hired in December of 1977. And like the next week, uh, the Rams were playing a big playoff game. And, and Dave said, Hey, do you want to, you want to cover that game for us? And I go, Oh my gosh. Yeah. Cover an NFL playoff game. It was, I remember going to the game and because we were not the LA times, we didn't get to sit in the press box uh, <laughs> because, you know, it's a big game and there's a million reporters from all over. And it was against the Minnesota Vikings. And I had to sit out in the auxiliary press box outside and it, it was the mud bowl game. It was, it was raining cold. And I sat out there in the cold, hard rain. My notes were all running off my notepads and everything. And, but I still loved it. And then oh. Dave, they let me cover the World Series that year. The Dodgers played the Yankees. And uh, so I, right away, I got to have some plum assignments. And I don't know, maybe he was taking care of his, you know, his, his buddy's kid. But uh, it was kind of a nice way to get introduced to the Santa Barbara News Press. Yeah, you, you got uh, to cover the good stuff right away. You know, that's kind of cool. That's the great thing about Santa Barbara is we're close to that L.A. market. So, you know, we're, we're able to cover those, those types of sports events and those types of big events. Um, you know, if our, if, if the paper will, will allow us, you know, it's, it's something, yeah. you know, it's doable to go there. What's the hardest thing about writing sports for you? I, I think that there's a, you know, a perception that, Oh, you're, you like sports, you write about sports, you chum it up with the coaches, <laughs> the players, you know, and you just kind of, throw it onto the page and everybody loves it. It's, it's difficult to write sports. Can you talk about some of the, you know, what's difficult, the challenges of it and how you've grown over the years? Yeah. You, you know, it's funny. Ask this question of Barry Punzel, the new sports editor. Cause he had been, we, we had been, um, I was sports editor for the news press for nine years from like, I think 1994 to 2003. Barry was my deputy sports editor kind of ran the desk. And then uh, we kind of turned flip, roles later on I became a columnist and Barry became the sports editor and Barry would tell you the toughest thing for me to do 
is to meet deadline. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, we're because you know, Bear was always waiting. Mark, where's your story? Come on, it's, it's 11 o'clock. We got to get this thing in here. And mm-hmm. um, in, in a good way, Barry is an awesome guy, but uh, that's what Barry would tell you. And I, you know, I'd always want to get every little fact in and so forth. And that was probably one of the hardest things too. I had to learn, you know, when to cut things off. And John Zant was the sports editor before me. I took over for John and they wanted John to be a columnist uh, too. So that's why I kind of took over sports editor. And John was a tremendous mentor to me. You know, I mean, obviously growing up with a father who was a, a journalist, I learned a lot from him, but you know, I think John taught me a lot about writing. And I remember he gave me a person, we used you know, do these personnel re- evaluations and John's such a good guy. He has he had a hard time, you know, criticizing anybody, but John told me one time at one of our evaluations, he says, Mark, you know, you're a really good writer, all this stuff, but you try to seem to get every little thing in your notebook into the story and you'll interview somebody and everything you got in there and your stories are so long, you know, um, remember this, sometimes less is more. And you, you know, if you have some really important bullet points in your story, you should, just, you know, emphasize those and not try to get everything into the story. And I think that was kind of a challenge for me because I'd want to get everything in the story. You think everything's important. Yeah. That, was a, that was a difficult thing too, but um, probably maybe the biggest thing for me was, um, you know, like I said, I'm a people person. I like people. Um, I'm not a... Uh, um, I, I don't like writing negative stories. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, just kind of my personality. I like the positive kumbaya. I'm that kind of guy. And <laughs> um, <laughs> I got an interview one time, uh, you know, back when things were, were, were getting a little more rough at the news press, I had an interview to be the columnist for the uh, Eugene registered guard. Paul Yarbrough used to work for the news press. Uh, I'd heard that they had an opening. He got me up there for this interview and I went in there and the guy was a, uh, there was one of three, I was one of the three guys to interview for the job. And the guy looked at my stuff. He goes, you know, I really like your writing, but I'm looking at all these columns of yours and there's nothing that's real edgy. You know, we like, we like some controversy. We like, you know, edginess in our columnists. And I, I, you know, I thought about it saying, I go, you know, then I'm not your guy. I'm not, I'm not the kind of guy who likes to dig up dirt. Um, I like telling stories. I guess I'm a storyteller, which is, Kind of what my column's about and um you know and, and i'd have written stories that you haven't you know to talk about maybe some tough stuff and and you know maybe we're edgy but don't they were they were not the columns i was showing this guy and, and i didn't want that to be kind of my uh i don't know the thing i would emphasize is the the edginess of the sports world so i think that was pro- that's probably the one thing i struggled with as a as a as a columnist yeah, it's it's definitely a tough thing, you know. I um, I always sort of enjoy talking about the challenges people have had, um, writing about what they've had to overcome because I feel like when you have your kicker of the triumph of their life, whether it's you know I don't you know I have written some sports, but it's mostly just feature stories in this context. Um, that payoff is much better when you know what they've overcome. And so I've always sort of liked doing that in sort of, you know, digging a little bit about the adversarial circumstances that they have, they have had to face. I always wanted to be a sports writer growing up, you know, um, um, I really liked boxing. You know, my dad was the kind of guy who, you know, get the guys over in the garage and, you know, we watched Larry Holmes fights, you know, and sort of like, I'd be in the background kind of like, why are they so excited about this? You know, and then you kind of sort of, 
you know, get into it, you know, watching, you know, that. And I, I had the opportunity to cover some um, MMA when I worked up in uh, San Jose. And, uh, you know, I tell you, you know, uh, it's sort of, I guess it's like the reverse for us. You know, I have no problem interviewing politicians or elected officials or activists. They don't really phase me, but you interview these professional athletes like right before they are about to compete and uh or fight you know or they're cutting weight oh man you know you, you know you got to be crisp with your questions in and out and uh you gotta do your research because they don't have a lot of a lot of patience for you but I always wanted to be a sports writer you know I just thought it would be really cool but I gravitated toward uh government and politics and news just because that's really cool too you know so I sort of admire uh you know, all the genres, you know, it's, it's really uh, difficult to be a journalist and, and tell those stories. And I like what John Zant told you, because less is more brevity is key. Uh, what you tell them will mean more if you focus on just a few points, because you can't tell everybody everything all the time, because it's, it's, you know, too much. Um, so, you know, you're sort of in this elite class, Mark, um, you know, every, every community, you know, would love to have somebody like you who's sort of been around for, you know, 30 years, almost 40 years and, and sort of been kind of the face of a department or a face of a newspaper. And, you know, you really were that for the news press, you know, and some communities have a person like that, you know, like when they retire, it's a, it's a big deal. And so, you know, you're kind of elite class because you, 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 um, you are that guy, you know? And so can you talk about, uh, how it is you gravitated toward, um, you know, your column writing. So you were sports editor and then, you know, you mentioned that, you know, you became a columnist and what is that like? Like, tell, what is the day like? like? How do you find a column and how do you, how do you write about that? I mean, obviously there's some tips, but I mean, that's hard. Like, cause so, so many people I'm sure would love to be the subject of a column. You've got to figure out who it is. Can you walk us through that process a bit? Yeah. You know, I, I think I would never recommend like a, a newbie to be a columnist because it's, it's, you have to tap into a lot of, you know, history of your, you know, uh, of maybe a team, a player, you, you really got to know the lay of the land. And um, it's tough for a, cause I didn't start writing columns in the news press. So I think I'd been there for maybe, maybe 10 years or so. And when I was sports editor, I wrote the column weekly. It's hard to find time to do it other than, more than that. And then um, when I switched over as a columnist, I used to write like four a week and they, they wanted the, the New York, uh, I'm sorry, Jerry Roberts was the editor at the time and he really wanted more of a, a column presence in the news press. So he really wanted me to write my column more often. And uh, so I think I, you know, it's funny, it, it's kind of a magical process, Josh. I mean, it's, it's um, you get inspired and I don't know, not sure even where it comes from. Usually it's, it's a lot of it's paying attention, like when, or in asking the right questions, you know, I'll get to know the athletes. Thank goodness. You know, the news press was really good. I would travel with like the UCSB basketball team mm -hmm. uh, to all their games, wherever they went. I've been all over the country with them over a long period of time. And I also traveled with the baseball team for a while. And like, I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, I was traveling with a basketball team and UCSB had this new pretty good player they had recruited by the name of Carrick DeHart. Uh, it was his freshman year. Um, 
and it was back when Brian Shaw was, uh, you know, had been was playing with the, the Gauchos. First time they went to the NCAA tournament in 1988. Actually, I think Carrick was a sophomore that year. And I remember thought, oh, I'm going to interview this kid. And so we kind of sat down. I went to his hotel and went in his hotel room and we just sat and started chatting. You know, I just feeling him out. I want to show him I'm a regular guy. What, you know, he's a little bit intimidated. He's a young kid. He's from, you know, inner city LA. What Santa Barbara was kind of a new experience for him. And, and so I just started talking. He could see that I'm just a, a regular guy and we kind of joked a little bit. I think I, I used that a little bit. We, I try to make it, you know, light. And then he kind of, out of nowhere, he just kind of opened up about his life. He talked about, he was kind of a skinny little kid and, you know, he's from a, you know, a broken family. And he said he kind of got hooked into a gang and they used to use him because he was so skinny. He told me that they used to sneak. He was a guy who would sneak into the stores, you know, when they would, when they would break up, break into a store because he could fit through the, the bars. And he's telling me the story and he's getting pretty emotional about it. And he told me about how he, his life was turned around by a guy by the name of uh, Benny Davenport. His, he ended up playing basketball with him in high school and, and Benny's son, Carlton ended up coming to UCSB too, which I think was a big reason Carrick turned down Kansas to come to play for UCSB because Carlton Davenport was playing there. So he's telling me the story and it became a column, you know, and it became a, you know, a, 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 I think a pretty poignant column. And a lot of it, I think was because I got to know this guy, you know, I mean, we, he wasn't just some guy playing basketball and I'm interviewing him in the locker room and that's kind of it. You know, and uh, so thank goodness the news press in those days was, you know, sending me out and spending time with these people. And um, another time, uh, I, I, sometimes you luck into these things, Josh, you know, I, um, as I mentioned, the Dave Cole sent me to cover the World Series and, and it's, it was kind of a famous little incident um, uh, where Reggie Jackson was playing for the Yankees and it was a, came down to the last inning and you know, the Yankees had some runners on base, Dodger Stadium, and the Dodgers bring in this rookie out of the bullpen, Bobby Welch, to pitch against them. And it's kind of a famous moment in World Series history. He came in there and he kept throwing fastballs at Reggie, and Reggie kept following him back, fouling him back, fouling him back. And eventually he threw him a high fastball and Reggie struck out. Dodgers win, celebrate. So I noticed, and I'm thinking, I got to write, I want to write a column about this, um, but I noticed when, when he was walking out of the bullpen, that their bullpen catcher, Jerry Grody, he was our third string catcher, kind of, a, he was a good catcher in his day. He was at the end of his career and he stopped Bobby Welch was coming out of the bullpen and he leaned it because it was so loud. He leaned in his ear and was told him something for like a good 10 seconds. And then Bobby Welch came in and I kind of made a mental note. I don't think anyone else is going to notice this. That might be my column. What did this old catcher tell Bobby Welch when he came in? So I went in the locker room afterward. In those days, they didn't do press conferences. You had to go to their locker to, to talk to them. And of course, you know, um, Bobby Welch's locker is just packed. People are talking to him. And so I'm in the way in the back, this young reporter trying to find my way in. I noticed there's Bobby Welch. I mean, not Bobby Welch. There's Jerry Grody at his, at his cubicle all by himself. So I kind of walk up to him. And as I'm approaching him, he kind of raises his hand up, like, you know, don't approach me. So I'm, I stop, I kind of look around, you know, is he talking to me? <laughs> so then he was just about done getting dressed. And I came and says, Hey, uh, Jerry. And he just started shaking his head. And then I'm like, Oh my gosh, well, I don't know what you mean. <laughs> so I go, 
hey, Jerry, I just want to ask you what you told Bobby Welch when he walked in out of the bullpen to pitch to Reggie Jackson. And, and he just said, he stood up and he didn't look at me. He just goes, well, you should ask him. And then he walked away. So I'm, you know, young kid. I'm kind of a little, you know, shocked. You know, that's my first time with a no comment. And so I found out later that he had bad experience with reporters. He just never talked to reporters. So that okay, I'm going to have to write my way through all these guys to ask my question to Bobby Welch. And finally, I fought my way through there, got up to him and asked Bobby Welch, you know, Bobby, I noticed that Jerry Grody stopped you on the way out, told you this important advice of how to pitch to Reggie Jackson. What did he tell you? And Bobby Welch goes, I tell you, I was so nervous. I don't know what in the hell he was saying. <laughs> that became my column. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because he went out there, there was no pitch. He was going to th throw a slider that Reggie couldn't hit or a curveball. He was so nervous. He was going to throw his fastball at him like 10, 13 times in a row. And anyway, so that's, you know, I think that's in a, in a long-winded way. Sorry, but. That's kind of how you get a column. You know, you kind of look for the, the, something in the background or some a nuance or, a, you know, something that maybe tells something beyond the story behind the story. Yeah, it's that's a good tip. You know, especially when you're covering something, a lot of people are, are also covering is, you know, find the thing that no one else sees or go in the direction no one else is going. Um, and that's what's going to make your story and your column stand out because if you're part of the pack and you know, why should people read your story if, you know, someone else is for the LA Times, you know, it's like, well, you've got to make yours unique. And uh, that's a little risky, of course, though, because here you are, you're wandering around, you're getting a no comment, you know, an athlete is, you know, or you're being told, um, um, you know, by, by somebody, you know, who you really take seriously in this authoritative role, no comment. And then, you know, you've got to, you've got to work harder in that sense. But there's definitely a greater payoff. Hey, have you ever had um, anyone get mad at you? Obviously, when you're covering high school sports, which is a lot of what you did, you're dealing with, um, you know, parents, families, you know, obviously, that whole world is fierce, it's intense, uh, you know, parents, you know, I always say kids bring out the best and worst in their parents, especially with youth <laughs> sports, you know, um, right. you know, have you ever had any sort of um, experiences where you've had a parent didn't like what you maybe wrote about their kid or, or anything like that? Or, and how did you deal with that? There's been a couple of times, you know, obviously, when you're, you're in the business for as long as I've been, you will run into that. I remember one time we were, uh, um, back when Kathy Gregory was the volleyball women's volleyball coach at UCSB and she had a fantastic year. She was named NCAA coach of the year. And in those days we had a little, uh, we used to have this little rail on the end of uh, the front of the sports section. And we'd put like news, news nuggets in there. And we were always trying to find good local news nuggets. Well, I remember being told by somebody, Hey, do a little news nugget on Kathy Gregory being NCAA coach of the year. And We'll put it there, and I and I even thought to myself, ah, you know, this probably deserves maybe a bigger, better, bigger treatment than that. I can, and he goes, oh, you've done features on Kathy Gregory. We'll just put it here that she was NCAA Coach of the Year. So, and I, I was covering the UCSB. I was covering all UCSB sports in those days. This was before I was sports editor, and so I covered the volleyball team a lot. And so I did. We did this little news nugget, and here I am. I I had to go to, that morning. I had to to go to the bank. And I'm in the bank and there's a long line and I look over and I see Kathy Gregory is kind of near, 
she was almost to the teller and I'm in the back line and she looks and she sees me and she comes storming back there. <laughs> and I don't know if you know Kathy, but she's got, she's very, she's got a very loud voice. She's very dynamic personality, which is what made her a fantastic athlete and a, and, and a volleyball coach. And she lit me up. She goes, Mark, she said, if this had been Jerry Pym on the basketball team, meaning NCAA coach of the year, you guys would have done a big story on it. And I know this is going to sound, you know, self-aggrandizing, but, you know, uh, I'm sticking up for women's sports. If this had been a men's sport, you would have done something more than this. And instead you put this little thing on in the thing. And I thought you were better than that. And she was going on and on. And, going, but, but, and the whole time, everybody in line is turning around going, what's going on here? You know, she's just yelling at this guy <laughs> in the middle of the line. And I kept going, Kathy, it wasn't my call. You know, I'm, I'm trying to excuse my way out of We put it on the front page, all this stuff. And, and finally she says, okay, that's it, Mark. I still love you, but that's it. And she walked back and there was something, they were waiting for her in the, in the teller. And the teller is like, she wasn't going to ask anybody else what was, you know, what they wanted. She was waiting for Kathy to come back in the front of the line and, I just remember just kind of being like pretty red faced uh -huh. at that time. There was another time I reported a, uh, um, a football player, a high school football player had been suspended from his team um, for, um, as it turned out, I won't tell, I won't say his name, but this was a number of years ago, but um, he had been suspended for being caught smoking marijuana. And, and I, I, I wrote a story about it. I talked to the coach. He was their star player. They were really, they were a very good team. And so of course I'm going to write about it. He wasn't, he didn't play in the game. Why would, why didn't he play? And the coach told me we've suspended him and for breaking team rules. And I can't tell you any more than that. And so I wrote about that and the parents were really upset. They said, you know, I got a phone call. I kind of knew the parents you know, peripherally. And, and they said, you know, um, people are assuming I'm getting phone calls from my friends saying, what did he do? Did he, you know, did he, you know, did he hurt somebody? Was it, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, of course it wasn't anything as, as nefarious as that. He, you know, he just got caught with, basically got caught with marijuana in his, in his possession at school. And, um, you know, that was kind of hard because I knew these people, they're not, they're good people. And of course they're protecting their son, they don't want to have anything negative written about, it. but it was one of those deals where, you know, I, the guy's the star player. He's not playing. People are wondering why isn't he playing in the game? He's on street clothes and the coach was honest about it. He could have told me, no, he's hurt, but you know, he, I have a good relationship with the coach and he told me, and I said, I wrote about it. And that was, it was kind of hard to hear that from, from the parents and it's stuff like that. Um, I think, and I, it hasn't happened to me very often, but it does happen. Yeah. Yeah. And you've, um, you've got daughters, right? And so they, they grew up, you know, in the community. Well, their dad is this prominent local sports writer. Um, can you talk a little bit about what that was like? You know, what did, you know, uh, you're raising your girls and, you know, they're probably going to school and talking to some of the people that you're writing about, you know, did they ever give you a hard time because their dad was, was so well known and, you know, how did, how did you do that? You know, and did, did they give you tips or what was it like, you know, what was that like? It's funny. I, had, I have four daughters yeah. and they're all very different. They all played sports. Um, they all, because I was playing a lot of softball, especially when they were growing up, and I used to drag them to all my games. I played on a couple of teams that like to travel around a lot. So I traveled around 
with them and bring them. That'd be our vacation. You get to go watch dad play softball in you know, some dusty city or whatever. But um, so they all actually played sport. They played uh, a couple of them played volleyball too, but they all four played softball. And, and uh, I remember um, the, the oldest one was, is very self-effacing. She doesn't like having attention brought to herself. And so she would go to these things, but she, she wasn't, she wasn't the type of person who would, would get enamored with famous people. She, um, and anyway, I remember she was, she was a very good athlete. She played, you know, made varsity at Dos Pueblos as a freshman. And, and I remember she made um, the, uh, the, the all channel league team in softball and the all county team. And we did it. I was sports editor at the time and she gave, um, we, we, in those days, we used to get the all county team for baseball and softball, whatever sport we get them all together up in San Inez, kind of a midway point, And we take this picture and she had made the all county team. And it was, and so I'm telling her, Amy, you've got to go this, to San Inez for this. She goes, I'm not going. And I go, well, what do you mean you're not going? And she says, you only picked me because you're, I'm your daughter. And I says, well, I didn't pick the team, the coaches, we do a vote. We send a ballot out to every coach and, and she wouldn't hear of it. And so I'm trying to convince her, you've got to go to this photo shoot, you know, that's, you know, it's going to look weird. You're not there and everyone else is. And she refused to go. And so what happened was we have this picture. Everybody who made the all county team was this picture. And so I did to get to my daughter, <laughs> your picture and put it in there too. Uh-huh. <laughs> so anyway, wow. so her on one end of the spectrum. And then I've got this other daughter, Megan, I'm actually at her house right now. Uh-huh. It was also very good athlete. Um, she actually played softball at UCSB, got, got a little bit of a scholarship there. And, and she, she was the one, one time we were, they had this women in sports lunch and the round table puts on the athletic round table. And she would get to go to this. They'd pick a few athletes from each school and she got to go from Dos Pueblos. And the speaker was, you know, having her picture taken by Rafael Maldonado still works at the news press as a photographer, chief photographer. And, so I'm covering this event. My daughter's there and Raphael's taking the pictures and the speaker goes, I want to have my picture taken with a couple of the athletes, not just of me. So she says, you, you, and you. And she grabs my daughter and a couple of others and says, okay, you're going to take a picture with me. And Raphael's starting to take the picture and he goes, and he recognizes Megan <laughs> and goes, oh, you're Mark's daughter. He says, oh, you can't be in the picture. It's going to look like nepotism or whatever. And I think in the old days, we did have some kind of rules against trying to, you know, that kind of thing. New York Times, when they owned us, was pretty kind of a stickler about it. And so Megan's mad. So she, my wife is there and she storms off to my wife and she goes, they won't let me be in the picture because of dad. <laughs> <laughs> so I apologize to Megan, but I reminded her when she was a little girl, Lakers, uh, where Magic Johnson was doing a fundraiser for UCSB. He was doing a, they called the Magic Johnson all-star basketball game. And a couple of NBA guys came up and they did this, this game at UCSB. And so they, a lot of the media came from LA to, to do it. They did a press conference for it. And so I took my daughter out of school. She was, I think she was in kindergarten or first grade at Kellogg school. And I, she, she was a big Laker fan already and loved Magic Johnson. So I said, would you like to come to this, you know, this press conference I'm doing with Magic Johnson? She says, oh, yeah, I'd love to. So I brought her to this press conference. It was that they did it at, uh, it, actually, they did it at Rob Jim. And so all these 
LA Times, you know, I said all these reporters there. Magic's such a good guy with the media. And so he's going along the line. He goes, okay, before we get started, I want to know who you all are. He says, so who are you? And the guy goes, hey, I'm Scott Osler with the LA Times. Uh, who are you? You know, I'm uh, Mark Patton with the Santa Barbara News Press. And he, Megan's right next to me, this little six-year-old. And so he bends over and he goes, and who, are, what paper do you write for? And, and Megan looks to him and she goes, I'm Megan Patton and I write for the Santa Barbara News Press. And <laughs> he just busted out laughing and uh-huh. so forth. And, and I reminded Megan at this time, he says, no, you've got your time in the sun. <laughs> before, <laughs> um, you know, so. That's fun. They've yeah. A, they've had experiences like that. And they've had a chance to meet some famous people and some people in town who are, who are athletes too. I had a couple of the gauchos speak to their classes, actually. Mm-hmm. I remember getting Carrick DeHart and Eric MacArthur to come speak, you know, that great gaucho team from 1990. And they spoke to uh, one of my daughter's classrooms. And, and so I've tried to involve my daughters in what I do somewhat. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I think they all turned out okay because of it. <laughs> <laughs> they weren't too much, too damaged by it. Yeah, and you know, I think one of the joys of being a reporter when you have kids is, you know, you sometimes you have to take your kids with you. It just works out that way to to cover stuff. And, you know, I have a seven-year-old and, man, you know, she it, no, it doesn't matter who I'm interviewing. If she's around, you know, it's like, uh, you know, they, <laughs> they're the center of attention, you know. So it's so fun, you know, for them to to feel that. Hey, I want to ask you a little bit about uh, – the. go ahead, go ahead. It's funny you say that because – you know, when they, the news hawk, when they, when they were announcing that I was going to be writing for them, uh, they asked me to provide a picture. And so I looked through pictures of me covering things. I had a picture of me interviewing James Worthy of the Lakers, stuff like that. Oh, yeah, I don't know. And a couple of the gauchos. And I know I had this picture of me at press row at the Thunderdome. And I had three of my grandkids with me at, at Thunderdome. With Amy's, two of Amy's kids, Ben and Sam. And then my Megan's, uh, daughter Michaela and they're sitting there with me on press row and I thought okay this is it this is the one I want them to run me with my grandkids right. you know, and maybe one of them will keep the the legacy alive you know <laughs> the the journalist and the Patton family <laughs> yeah and make more money than than we did for sure <laughs> um, um you know I want to talk to you about this news press 2006 uh there was you know a big um exodus of editors and reporters after that um obviously I don't want to go into rewrite the whole story people can look it up if they want to um but what I wanted to just sort of um you know ask you is um you know you were one of the you know two or three who you know uh stayed up until you know very recently you know you just retired and so I was wondering if you could just talk a little bit about that decision because for so many people um you know they felt an ethical sort of need like I need to leave you know and whether that's right or wrong we're not gonna get into that but so many of your friends and your colleagues walked away no jobs with kids not a lot of opportunities and they had to sort of reinvent the wheel um can you just talk a little bit about what that moment was like for you and your decision to stay yeah, it's a great question, Josh, and it's one I obviously struggled with mightily. Um, you know, my desk at the news press at that time was right near the stairway, the back stairway, and I would be the first person to see the security guard coming up and ready, you know, with human resources, ready to perp box somebody out of the building. And I, I probably watched 20 people get get walked out of the building, some who were obviously 
because um, a lot of people obviously quit and but a lot were were walked out of the building too and that was pretty rough for me um i i think god was looking down on me when he when john zant was let go and then barry was let go later because those are two of my closest friends in the world and uh that was rough i mean god i get emotional thinking about it um uh those two guys are two of my best friends in the world. And we had such a great, great sports section in those days with a great staff. And it was, it was pretty hard. I talked to my wife about it. What do we do? Um, we had two daughters in college at the time, not just one, we had two and we were paying tuition and uh, trying to pay, you know, make our mortgage. And uh, I, so part of it was selfish. I needed the job and, it was hard in, in 2006 when John was let go and 2008 when Barry was let go to, to find a job in yeah. the business. And that's when I actually, you know, I, I tried somewhat. I, I, I tried to get a job with the Eugene paper, as I mentioned. Yeah. Um, I wasn't edgy enough for them. Uh, then I, um, I actually tried to get a job a few times at UCSB. Almost got a job. Uh, I was a finalist for a job with coastlines magazine and didn't get that. It just seemed like it was, you know, I don't know if it was, you know, uh, I was just meant to stay at the news press because I tried several times to try to, um, to leave and nothing was happening for me. And then I also felt kind of an obligation to the sports community somewhat. Um, you know, uh, it was obviously with my father having been the sports editor there, I grew up, you know, I knew everybody, um, you know, all the coaches, all, you know, a lot of the athletes and so forth. And I just kind of felt compelled to stick it out and, you know, hopefully things will, will get better. And um, so it was kind of a, the decision had a lot of facets to it for me to stay. And, um, you know, especially with having children, you know, you have sometimes your priorities, uh, you know, are around them, uh, you know, and, you know, what, how this is going to affect them. And so that was a big part of it. Um, you know, it, it took me a long time and, you know, think, you know, th these are rough days for all newspapers, obviously, uh, you know, people don't read newspapers as much as they used to. And, um, you know, and there's one reason why I've been kind of intrigued to, to write for Newshawk, you know, Barry approached me about it. Uh, Tom Bolton, who was the uh, editor of the news press when uh, I became sport. He's the one who makes, actually promoted me to sports editor. So I've known worked with Tom for many years. And, and of course, Bill McFadden was a, you know, a news editor at the news press and started, basically started the beacon and tried to get me to work right for the beacon way back in the day. I just couldn't afford it. And uh, uh, you know, I needed those benefits <laughs> with all those kids. Yeah. And then uh, of course, Bill started Newshawk and uh, it's, it's such a great, I mean, for especially for a community of our size to have that good of a of a internet news source is quite remarkable. And I've always admired Newshawk, and they're they're all old old news press colleagues of mine. Or so it's it's it seemed like kind of an easy transition for me to write for Newshawk. Yeah, no, yeah, you know, everyone has to make the best decision for their for themselves and their families, you know. And I know that the sports community. Um, 
benefited from from you staying quite a bit because they you know they got 15 16 more years of your, <laughs> your your coverage you know so you know i know that 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 decision for them was you know the right one um let's um we've got a few more minutes here uh let's talk about um greatest athletes from santa barbara or like you know athletes you really enjoyed covering that were really special to you um you want to drop any names or, or talk a little bit about those people yeah you know um, because I, I covered gaucho basketball for so long, a lot of them were, were gaucho athletes. Um, Brian Shaw obviously was the first uh, kind of iconic gaucho I covered. He had a long career in the NBA. Um, and I never, I'll for, never forget. Uh, and, you know, because I travel with these guys, I got to know them pretty well. And it seemed I, I'm kind of fortunate because UCSB, all three coaches I covered there, Jerry Pym, then Bob Williams, and now Joe Pasternak, they, they've really made a point of recruiting good kids. I think a lot of it too, is you've got to get admitted to UCSB. You can't get in if you're a knucklehead. And so they, they seem to have gotten great people and, you know, Brian Shaw would be right, right at the top of the list. Um, I'll never forget um, uh, when he played for the Lakers and they won that championship. I think it was 2000, the Staples center. It was his first year with the Lakers and he had played a big role in that, in that team that year. And, I went in the locker room afterward uh, and he saw me and he was still really sweaty and so forth. And he comes running up to me and gives me a big hug and says, we did it. We did it. We did it. Uh And I kind of thought, yeah, I did a lot, (laughs) but you know, he was including me in this great moment, you know, Lakers had finally won a journey. You know, you were there for him when he was starting out and now here he was and you were still there. So yeah, you know, you were with him, you know, in in that context for sure. And I'd shared some pretty personal things with him too, over the years, you know, his parent, he, when he got signed by the Celtics and then he, uh, you know, he's making all this money now and he decided to move to Las Vegas for the tax reasons. And his, so his family was driving there to join him, his father, he was very close to his parents. They were amazing people. He was driving there with his, his, fa- his father, his mother, and his sister, and his sister's daughter were driving there and got in a car accident. And his parents were both killed. His sister was killed. And his, his little niece survived. And he ended up raising her. She was named after him, Brianna. And I've, I've written stories about that. I've interviewed Brian about that pain of losing his family, you know, basically, cause they were following him to, to his new home. And, and so I think there was, we had an emotional connection because he shared a lot of those things with me. And um, so that was pr- probably one of the, you know, athletes that I, you know, where th- that, that occurred. There've been others, um, you know, baseball, you know, I, I covered Bob Bronsima when he was a player at UCSB. It was the first Gaucho team ever covered I took the over the Gaucho beam in the spring of 1983. He was their leadoff batter on a team that almost made it to Omaha. And Bob became the coach later. And so I knew him as a player and as a coach. And now he's an assistant athletic director at UCSB. And he's a very good personal friend of mine. And I, because I've watched him, you know, from those moments when we were both pretty young. And now we're, you know, you know, we're in our, I'm in my 60s. I think Bob's probably getting close to there now. And, um, so you get those connections with those people. Um, but probably, you know, I was a big fan of Eddie Matthews. He had, he had grown up in Santa Barbara. 
He went to the same schools I did. The first sports story I ever wrote was on Eddie Matthews. He had gone to Lacumbre Junior High School in Santa Barbara, and I was on their sport. That was our sports editor, the, the Lancer Scroll at Lacumbre Junior High. And Eddie was still playing. This was 1968. I think he was in his last year. And so I did a story out of him in the Lancer Scroll. Years later, he was inducted in the Hall of Fame in 1978. Um, and so Santa Barbara had a big day for him. It, it was Eddie Matthews Day. They had a parade down State Street for him. Um, and they had a big celebration at the El Paseo. So I went in there and got to interview my idol. And I, that was my first year at the news press. Another plum assignment Dave Cole gave to his to his buddy's kid. And I, got, I sat down with Eddie Matthews. And it, at first, um, you know, and famous athletes do get a little leery of reporters because in big cities, especially, you know, they, they write about, you know, everything, you know, the bad and the good. And so he's a little leery, but then he sees me and I tell him I'm, you know, Mark Patton. And he goes, oh, you're Phil Patton's kid. And I go, yeah. He goes, yeah, come on, sit down and have a beer with me. And so I have this great interview with Eddie Matthews, who was, you know, growing up was my idol. And, um, and so, yeah, I'd, I'd say those, those are probably some of the best examples I could give you of, of, of some of those people. I, you know, it's funny, you asked me what some of my favorite stories to write. I, because people identify with personal experience, you know, I've written a lot about my family, you know, yeah. of course, I've written about my dad a lot, you know, being a sports editor. My mother was a tennis coach. In fact, it was funny. She coached tennis, the first women's tennis coach at City College. And then she came back when my sister played at City College, my sister Maureen. Bob Dynamer talked my mom into coming back to City College and playing on the team, taking 12 units and playing you know, with her. So I've written about my mom a lot. I've written about my sister. Obviously, they were big influences in my life. And I've written about my children. Um, my brother was a very good a tennis coach he uh, was NCAA coach of the year twice once at UC Irvine and oh. once at Boise State and so I've written it and he had he had he had been blinded in the eye as a kid it was shot in the eye with a BB gun you know the old Christmas story thing you know you'll shoot your eye out kid oh. well somebody shot his eye out he had to learn how to play tennis with one eye uh, gave up baseball because he couldn't see the baseball with half the thing but he became he worked really hard to become a really good tennis player, played at UCSB, played in the, played professional tennis for a while, became this great tennis coach. So I wrote about my brother, you know, and that, you know, those personal stories, you know, are the ones that I think really resonate with people. So I've, I've you know, I, I think I've, I've probably, you know, gone tapped into that well, maybe, maybe once too often, but I think people like reading about the personal side of things. Yeah, well, that's the great thing about being a journalist and a columnist is you tell people stories and over time, they build a, a trust in you and a respect for you. And then they want to know your story. And so you almost have to tell your own narrative because uh, that's part of the storytelling of journalism. And they want to know, well, who is this person who's able to write such great stories? You know, so that's really cool that you're able to, you know, have that opportunity on a scale of one to 10, Mark, with 10 being the best and zero being the worst, uh, you know, how much did you love your career as a sports writer? It was a 10 all the way. I mean, uh, I tell, I can't believe, you know, God blessed me with the, the life I really wanted. You know, I really wanted to, to follow my dad's footsteps. I was part of really, obviously I looked up to him tremendously. I was at his 
elbow throw a big part of his career. He was such a good sport, you know, because I'd hound him. Can I go with you? Can I go with you? He took me to the Green Bay Packers played their very first uh, Super Bowl at the Coliseum, Super Bowl one, 1967, I think it was. And the, Vince Lombardi had the, he wanted to get out of LA. He thought some of the guys, Paul Horning was really kind of a, you know, a guy like being in the, the fast life. And he, he wanted to get those guys out of LA. So they trained at UCSB. Harder Stadium had just been built uh, in 1966. And this is in the January of 67. And so they trained at UCSB, but Vince Lombardi didn't like, it was very secretive. So, but one day he agreed, okay, I'll, I'll have a media day. So my dad let, let me get, get out of school. I was, gosh, it's 1967. I was 13, I think. And actually I was 12, it was in January. And so did, my dad let me go to this media day and there weren't very many people there. And there were the Green Bay Packers, you know, Bart Starr, Paul Horning, Jim Taylor. And, you know, I'm, I'm looking at Paul Horning smoking a cigarette on the sideline and thinking, whoa, this is, this is amazing. And there's, there's a, uh, you know, Vince Lombardi, he was barefoot. He had, he had that frostbite in his feet, coach nose ears with the Packers. And there he is on the sideline in a tub of water, warm water, barefoot, you know, coaching his team at practice. And these are just things that, you know, that I'm thinking, gosh, I was privy to so much amazing behind the scenes stuff in sports. You know, I, I loved sports growing up and I loved writing. You know, I was one of these kids who was writing I never let my friends know those, and I can't believe I'm admitting it now. I used to write poetry as a kid. I loved writing poetry, and because my buddies, I'd never let them know that. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I like to write, and I like sports, and this was kind of like the perfect marriage for me, you know. And yeah. it doesn't matter; I didn't get rich doing it. Um, I, I've lived the life I really wanted to live, and and here I am talking to Josh Molina, and still doing it for Newshawk. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna give thanks. I'm gonna give you the last word here. Um, you're, you're spending time with your daughter. You're, you know, you're spending a lot of time with your, you know, some of your grandkids now. Um, right. And then you're writing a column for, for Newshawk weekly. Um, I just want to, you know, give you the last word here. Talk a little bit about, you know, this stage of your life, being able to relax, not have the pressures of those daily deadlines. And, uh, you know, talk a little about what you're going to be doing for Newshawk. Yeah, you know, you touched upon it, you know, the, my, I had a daughter move here to Sun Valley five years ago. And then uh, my brother still lives in Boise. So that's a big part of it. Um, uh, and then my youngest daughter, she's got three little, little ones. Um, her, her husband has a catering business, neighbor Tim that he ran in Santa Barbara and was doing great. Everyone loved neighbor Tim's yeah. and then the pandemic hit and he got wiped out. You know, yeah. he had, I think it was $70,000 worth of contracts you know, weddings he was going to do and, and, uh, and corporate gigs and everything was canceled. So he moved my daughter and my three little grandchildren to Boise and reinvent himself. And he restarted neighbor Tim's barbecue in Boise. And, uh, you know, part of it was the brisket. I love his brisket, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, also was, I was going to miss those little ones and figure it was time, you know, and, and same with my wife, you know, she retired, she worked for a, uh, Dennis, uh, uh, Dennis, Dennis Miller and, and Galita. And so she retired too and decided to pull up stakes and move close to five of my grandchildren, two of my daughters and my brother. And so that's part of it. And, you know, part of it was too, you know, I, I love to write and uh, I, I was going to miss that, you know, writing, you know, 
for the news press all those years, I was going to miss writing. And I have written a book and I was, I'm in the middle of a second book about, I had a special needs sister and probably my favorite column I ever wrote, I actually wrote, won an award from, from CNPA was about, about Special Olympics about, and I tied it to my sister who was very physically active and a great athlete in her own right, seriously, but had been brain damaged at birth and with special needs. And so I wrote this column called uh, A Day for Those Who Run With Angels uh, about my sister. And I was kind of her main playmate growing up. And I'm writing a book now about growing up in the 60s with a special needs sister and how it was so different in those days. But anyway, um, I was gonna concentrate on writing my those that, this book about my sister called The Land of Never, because her favorite book was about Peter Pan. and. Mm -hmm. Uh, then Barry calls me and says, would you be interested in writing for Newshawk? And I thought, you know, I do like writing sports columns and this will give me the opportunity to, to, I can have time to write my book. I can have time to spend with my grandkids like I'm doing now here in Sun Valley. Mm -hmm. And there's also time for me to, to uh, write a sports column. My, my, my first one's coming out on Monday. Uh, it's about Ralph Molina, uh, the new San Marcos High football coach. I've known Ralph for many, many years. I grew up with his brother, uh, Tony Molina, and uh, on the Mesa, one of my buddies, classmates. And so here I am tapping into my, you know, this great resource I have from having just being an old guy growing up in Santa Barbara and knowing, knowing Ralph Molina's family. And that's my first column, the new San Marcos High football coach. And mm -hmm. so I think there's, maybe it's, I'm not ready to give it up yet, being a sports writer in Santa Barbara, that's part of it, but it's also, <laughs> I really admire what you guys are doing. Uh, you've really kept Santa Barbara informed at a time when it's difficult for newspapers to do that job anymore. And mm. New Talk is tremendous. I mean, I, I, I've admired you guys for so many years and, and now I'm part of the team and I'm really excited and, and proud, proud about it. Wow. Um, what a great conversation, Mark. I really appreciate your time. Uh, could talk to you, you know, forever, all day about journalism and, and uh, writing and reporting. Um, but I know that um, everyone's really delighted that you're going to continue to uh, be published in Newshawk. So people uh, will still be able to experience, you know, all your skill and uh, great work. So um, that's really something to look forward to. And uh, thanks a lot, Mark. Thanks for all your contributions over the years. You know, I know it's hard as a journalist People tend to focus on the people we write about, but, you know, as one journalist to another, um, yeah, I appreciate all your work you've done. You're, you're you know, the key to um, measuring someone's success, in my opinion, you know, one of those is longevity and uh, longevity. You've shown that you've been able to establish a long-term relationship with your readers and they, they have uh, appreciated and love the work that you've done. And, uh, you know, whether we make a lot of money or we don't, um, there's that value of knowing that you've had that impact on the community is priceless. So I want to just thank you for everything you've done. So uh, I look forward to reading your column, you know, and all your columns coming <laughs> ahead. So thanks a lot, Mark. Appreciate your time. Well, I really appreciate your kind words, Josh. You know, it's been a labor of love and, uh, and I appreciate you thinking of me that way. And, uh, and uh, glad to be, glad to be a partner with you now in this, this new quest of mine. <laughs> all right. Great. Have a good one. Take care. All right. Thank you, too. Take care.